Rosetta. Sweet Rosetta fat. She thought she was a cleaner. But she was a frying pan. The picker. Picture the fingers going. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Carpet Cafe. I am one of your hosts, Eric Root, and today I've got a special guest host from the UK, Mr. Carl Hayway. How are you, sir? Fantastic, mate. Absolutely fantastic. All right, where where in the UK are you from for our listeners? I'm in a uh, small town on the east coast of England called Boston, the original one. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about 110 miles northeast of London. You're, oh, so you're not at... One of the prime minister's little Christmas parties or anything that uh, contraband. I've, I read about the controversy today. <laughs> Don't get me started on that, mate. <laughs> He's like, no comment. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're in the witness protection program. That's right. No. <laughs> well, I was. Not now. <laughs> uh, Carl, I got to tell yes. you, it's uh, obviously been some time since we've seen each other in person back from our, our days at Disney. And uh, too long, too long. But just out of the blue, you and I were we were messaging each other and uh, discussed the fact that we'd both seen the Beatles get back the yes. Peter Jackson miniseries, if you will. Yeah, that has nothing to do with rings or hobbits. Nothing at all, <laughs> right, you know. Nothing at all. Um, you know, this one was only softly on my radar until one day I had the opportunity. I fired it up and it hooked Mm -hmm. me right away. Yeah, me too. And I got to tell you, I wasn't necessarily like a really big Beatles fan per se. Um, I've always known about their music. Their music has influenced so many parts of pop culture. But once I started seeing the raw footage of everything that they were doing, I was like, I, c- I couldn't get enough. Like, I wish the kids would go back to bed so I could watch more. <laughs> what were your yeah. first impressions? Um, I was amazed because right from the very first episode, they were a band on the verge of breaking up and you could see they struggled in the same room as each other. Um, right. Ringo was just disinterested. He, were, he, he hardly said anything. George was sick of Paul. Paul was definitely the leader. Even Paul and John weren't on the best of terms. And it got me straight away because here's the biggest thing. 
when you were born from the 40s to the 60s in the UK, the Beatles were the band. Fair. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand the Beatles. <laughs> all that, all that love me do nonsense left me cold. Um, well, it felt like the original boy band of all yeah, boy which bands. I hated. Yeah, right. Um, right. I. This is this is a really strange story, but you know I'll tell you. They they're always there. It was the Beatles. Okay, fair enough. Big deal. I was in Arizona in 1998, mm-hmm. and I was driving to the Grand Canyon just on my day off, and I had the radio on very insipid music came on. I'm in the middle of the desert and a day in the life came on. Okay. And that was it. Um, and I'd heard that song many, many times before. Mm-hmm. And that last note just sounded like the last note on earth. And I, all of a sudden I got it. Okay. Uh, so I started to discover the Beatles, not the early stuff, Right. Interested. Right. Sure. It was it was just sugar nonsense with people screaming. I can't be doing with that. Right. Um so I picked up from Revolver. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I became a fan. <laughs> you, you know, once I finished watching all three episodes and yep. you know, you read all of the captions involved about you know, the performance, the iconic performance on the rooftop at the end of that, that series yeah. was their last performance they'd ever done live together. Mm, and it. You, you see kind of like just this whole persona of everything that they encompassed just mm. walking away once John Lennon makes his comical exit after setting the guitar down and then you just kind of felt, man, it, it all, you, you wanted more, but clearly the people on the street there, and I forget the name, what was the name of the street? Um, it's on Savile Row. That's right. Yeah. They, half of them were like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Where's it coming from? And then you have the camera people saying, oh, on the rooftop and they're all standing, looking up. They can't see anything. They can't see anything. No. But the older folk are the ones that called the constables. Weren't they great? <laughs> how do you how do you feel I feel bad for that PC that walked in. He looked like he might have been 20. Yeah. And he's got to go in and tell the freaking Beatles to stop playing you're causing a nuisance. There was some serious delays on their part and I'm sure that was a tactic because one they oh, didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> it was but I'm like, um, this guy's going to get ostracized if this thing ever came out in that generation. If that film had been released back then, this kid would have been done for by the fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that no one has tried to find that cop now and interviewed him. I'm sure it's coming. Um, <laughs> 50 years but, later. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But, I, mean, I mean, the Beatles HQ in the, in the, in the Apple offices, they they were doing everything to stall it as well because they knew they had something up there, you right. know, and it's when you, and it's when you just see that from that first episode, bring, bring on, there was 60 hours of footage and they broke it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, they're going from that, that first one where you, they just did not want to be in the room with each other. And you could sense that. Yeah. 
Um, Yoko Blesser was sat near John. That didn't help the process at all. George right. was, I mean, George was the youngest Beatle. Mm-hmm. Um, he was definitely at his back teeth with, with Paul. I think he shared an affinity with John. Um, Ringo just did not want to be there. And you could see it. And it's like, oh, my, this is like a car crash. Well, there's no yeah. question that these four gentlemen um, are their talent is just crazy on their process. Watching them put it all together, yeah, you see it unfold, and then you you just think to yourself, at one point maybe it's the editing. So I kind of blame the editing of yeah. the film. Every time I saw Ringo Starr, he had that deer in the headlights look like. Even when he's playing the drums. Yeah. Like he didn't know what to do next, but I know that's not the case because clearly he's not just a talented drummer, but we see some scenes where he's just busting out the pipes and doing his own thing. And you're like, Mm. holy crap, I wish I could poop that much excellence just from what he's doing. But I thought with Ringo, it was interesting. Did you manage to catch that two or three seconds? I think it's in episode two where he's asking somebody in the studio for pet pills. Yes, but I was chalking <laughs> it up to maybe it's some kind of UK lingo that I'm not aware. No, of. it's not. It's amphetamines. <laughs> I had a feeling that was the case. I yeah. mean, just look at Yellow Submarine and that whole. Yeah, aspect. well, they were. <laughs> see, they used to be issued legally. Um, there was there was a. I don't want to say a tribe. There was, there was a uh, a youth cult, if you will, or a youth way of life in the from 1958 mm-hmm. to 1965, six, right? Called the Modernists, the Mods. Okay, and they would take these legal prescription drugs called Purple Hearts, mm-hmm. so they could stay up all night in the clubs of london and all over the all over the country to dance right. to soul music and r&b and soul music yeah. and they were pet pills so what ringo's asking for some uh, fetamins to keep, to keep him going well and Bless some him. of those sessions were grueling you know you could just see it wearing on him but <clears throat> the thing that for those that haven't seen it yet this whole three-part episode takes place over 22 days yes. and originally they were going to have a live concert in the building but then they decided they wanted to go the route of a rooftop but mm. <laughs> the other part of the editing it feels like glenn jones was like a misfit of producing like every time i turn around i felt like they're like are you recording glenn <laughs> it's yeah. like Glenn, what are you doing, man? I'm feeling awkward for you right now, bro. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I mean, he's, he's a great producer. I mean, he Absolutely. went on to the didn't he? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing guy. But you've got to understand, I mean, those four individuals, they stopped playing live music to concentrate on the albums, which they couldn't right. recreate live. Right. So they needed that producer to pull everything together, even though they they were quite capable of doing that kind of thing themselves. And then, right. you know, but you've got these four guys who were in each other's pockets since the early sixties mm-hmm. who did eight hour sets in Hamburg. Right. I mean, eight hours playing. Right. And that was, that was 
a, a daily occurrence to, the, to what it was now, which is, and it's quite sad when you see it, that first episode, because they do not want to be in the same room as each other. Which is it, so wild. Is it, yeah. do you think it's maybe creative differences at that point in their careers? Oh yeah, they, they, they went from, like I say, that pop band to all of a sudden, no, we want to hear ourselves play. And here's the ideas we've got, like playing backward tapes and adding right. noises and slowing things down, which really is when you listen to Tomorrow Never Knows of mm-hmm. Revolver, was it ever beaten sonically? I don't think it ever was. Um, right. And in fact, there's an artist called Paul Weller in the UK. Um, I'm a massive fan of, and um, he uses that song as his intro. And it's, and I saw him a couple of years ago, and it sounded amazing for the band to come on to Tomorrow Never Knows. You know, they were dealing with pushing boundaries, and they did, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they were just amazing. And then you've got these four guys now right. at the end, and they knew it was the end. You, they, they couldn't wait to get out. But then all of a sudden, things start to click. Right. Like the new songs. When you hear that, that first few bars of Get Back, it's like, you forget. They haven't done that yet. Correct. You know, like, yeah. Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, and they're experimenting with the lyrics at the time, too. And I'm like thinking, how do you not know your lyrics? Oh, wait, you're writing it as you go. Writing them. Yeah. Yeah. Because those songs have been around for so many years. You just take mm-hmm. them for granted. You don't. You don't think that at one time they were just words in the air. If you look at their beginning when you have, you know, I want to hold your hand and, um, you know, that early popish music, I view that as their let's get our foot in the door. And they got their foot in the door and then they went basically, it feels like sometime after a hard day's night, they went into this experimental phase and that's where they went everything from experimenting with, you know, drugs and the music itself. I mean, when they, and I'm surprised they really only kind of glossed over their trip to India where Harrison kind of embraced a lot of the teachings and stuff that went over there, because I know that started to affect the type of music he was going to put out at some point one day. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, with the sitar and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. then when you finally get through all that experimentation and all the ups and downs they have, yeah. throw in the Yoko Ono component, <laughs> yeah. right? It does change things dramatically. Because, yeah, I noticed that right away, first episode. Yoko yeah. is right at John Lennon's side the whole time. And I'm like, oh. you know what? You don't see, you don't see Linda... McCartney like sitting in his lap almost you know during that whole thing so and I get it theirs was kind of a new love which you get when you start listening to John Lennon's solo albums of course but holy smokes you can tell it was the beginning of the end yeah and it's only later on in the episodes that Linda shows up Mm -hmm. and Patty and all you know and the rest of them and because I think they were they were just they knew they were done. Let's face it, right. George Lee, halfway through the episodes. He, he, <laughs> <Right>. he, he, <laughs> yeah. They didn't want to play on the roof, or George didn't. Mm-hmm. They just, I think it was just that they wanted to get out of that, that studio. They'd got the songs. Um, 
Paul was definitely still in control then. Okay, definitely. yeah. But when yeah. you saw that, when you saw that chemistry all of a sudden start to bubble again with John and Paul, yeah, okay, this and things started to click, and then George started to get slightly more involved, and he had a voice. Mm-hmm. Ringo's bless him, he yeah, he started to add, mm-hmm. um, and then you start to think this is the Beatles. They went back to. You know, the, the song Get Back is basically a blues riff. Yeah. But but it's wonderful, mm-hmm. you know. And it's sad, it's fresh. So with that album, it was supposed to be released as an album called Get Back. And ultimately, yeah. we know it became the album Let It Be. That's right. And the thing that's interesting for the listener is that all the music you hear was intended to be on that album. But what ended up happening was, is that there was some differences. Um, so the following songs didn't make it to the Let It Be album. Uh, Teddy Boy, yep. uh, it ended up becoming McCartney's first solo hit. And this is courtesy of Ear Candy uh, website. Right, okay. Um, Rocker didn't make yeah. it. Save the Last Dance for Me didn't make it. Right. Don't Let Me Down, but it did become a B-side for Get Back once it was released as a <laughs> single. And then, yeah, and then Dig It, there was a yeah. four-minute version that was supposed to be on that album as opposed to the 58 seconds that actually made it to Let It Be. Hmm. And then, of course, they changed it to Let It Be. And my thought is maybe they changed the name because to say Get Back would be insinuating to the fans that they are back together, but Let It Be yeah. is kind of a swan song statement hmm. for their departure, maybe. It could be. It made perfect sense if it was, because it because it. I mean, it really was. And when you watch episode three, they start to enjoy themselves again, and you can see it, especially like, when they're playing on the roof. Yes, they just when they walk into the roof, you can see that. Okay, we're going to do something. We're playing live again, and I think mm-hmm. they really want to play live again as a four piece. Well. I know you got Billy on the keyboard, so it was a great keyboard player. Billy Preston, I did not know much about him, but a second he hit and started jamming with them, they looked at him and I heard them make the statement, you're going to be like the first non-Beatle to get an album credit on a Beatles yeah. album. And yeah. he was just like, okay, whatever. And he's just jamming away. And I'm like, this guy is so crazy talented. He did a um, one of my favorite instruments of all time called Billy's Bag on Sue Records in about 1966. If you ever get a chance to have a listen to that, it is a fantastic piece of music. Okay. I mean, it, oh, it's incredible. I'll send you it later. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that's awesome. I would love to hear it. Yeah. You know, but, it, but growing up, I grew up in San Jose, California, and um, yep. my parents, my father was also from the Bay Area of California. Right. And I noticed, because they were born in the mid-40s, yeah. It seemed like at the time, at least in the States, musical fans fell into two categories when the Beatles hit. You were either yes, a Beatles did. fan yep. or you were a Beach Boys fan. Yeah. Because Mike Love and the gang were just as popular around the same time. Mm-hmm. So the Beatles got the bigger push, of course, mm-hmm. because of the popularity. Yeah. Um, where 
the Beach Boys fell into that surfer, yeah, you know, motif. Um, so I didn't get as much exposure to the Beatles right, when okay. I was younger. Yeah. My first real exposure, it's so funny I'm even going to say this because I think I've talked about it before with someone else, is uh, how old was I? Maybe six, maybe seven. Mm-hmm. My dad took me to the theater to see the Bee Gees, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which at the time... Yeah was great because my parents loved listening to the BGs, you know, the disco era in the seventies. Absolutely. But it wasn't right until on. that film was over that my dad's like, all those songs were Beatles songs. And I'm like, really? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. But, um, I, I remember that being pretty impactful. Um, I also remember being scared to death of, uh, Aerosmith at that point and the come together because I was young. I was like, they're kind of creepy. Like yeah. Steven Tyler. I've grown to a feet. I've grown to appreciate it though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that was my first experience with anything Beatles related. You see, you see, regarding that, the beach boys were a huge influence on the Beatles as well. Cause when they made smile, Paul McCartney had to up his game. He, 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 he rates that as one of the best albums ever. Hmm. And they, you know, they came out with Sgt. Pepper and what have you. You know, right. um, there's a documentary on Disney Plus with, um, oh, what's the guy's name? He's interviewing Paul McCartney, uh, Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. Have, have you seen that yet? I have not. Have a look. Well worth a watch. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, and in the UK, you see, in the 60s, you're in two factions, Beatles or the Stones. Interesting. That was it. I didn't that even was think it. about the Stones. Okay. Yeah. Though yeah. that is interesting because they covered that one where the Beatles were supposed to introduce the Stones <laughs> at uh, some concert venue or it was, was it a yeah, show. It was a Rolling Stones circus. Um, yeah, yeah, they're supposed to go. Uh, the Who played it, and several others played it. I can't remember offhand who played. It. I've seen it. Yeah, it's, it's worth it's, it's worth checking out. <laughs> is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you're you're the Beatles fans or or the Stones because the Stones were classed as the bad boys. Um, but yeah, you you, you couldn't like both because the Stones were the bad boys. The okay. Stones were a blues band. Interesting. You know, along with along with the Animals. Yeah, uh, they all came around the same time as the Who. Um, the big favorite moments are small faces. Okay. Uh, the pretty things, the yard birds, um, all doing blues covers. That's how they all started. Now I know just from knowing you over the years, you music's a huge part of your, your past and everything that, that you, I mean, at least things that you enjoy today too, as well. Oh yeah. 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 What instrument did you play? I played guitar. Badly. What was the name really? of your band? The Midget Submarines. The Midget. Did you guys. Did the Midget Submarines ever release an album? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> There's no bootlegs no. out there. <laughs> oh, there's some tapes. There's some right. old cassettes. Um, one of the guys in the band whose band it was uh, is, is playing a, a band on Creation Records called Biff Bang Pow. Mm hmm. Um, the same label who discovered Oasis. They're all school friends. And so we've known him for years. 
and we used to do cover versions. Um, yeah, we did actually. We did actually. I saw a stand in there. Um, we'd do Glad All Over, uh, Stepping Stone, and various of the sixties stuff, and we were just shambolic is a great word you could use and but we used to love it and we used to get quite a large following for boston and every everywhere we played we'd sell out and we had some great some great nights <laughs> but but not not for musical expertise all right it was just it was just a good time right okay but i mean did I'm, you guys I'm, make any money at all like even a few bucks to, enough to pay for your ale we, we should get free beer wherever we played it would have been cheaper for them to pay us. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah but, but we would sort of base in the 60s, did a lot of 60s covers, a few punk stuff. Um, then we'd finish off with Leave on the Jet Plane by Peter, Paul and Mary. And that became our end of set staple. And we still... <laughs> It's so like your, mentioned now. your swan song at the end. There. Oh, baby, yes. <laughs> so whatever, whatever, uh, do you still keep in touch with your old bandmates? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Time. That's awesome. Yeah. You'll have to all let time. them know that you're going to be on a podcast episode. I will. Actually, I will do. I will <laughs> tell right. them. You want to give a yeah. shout out to them? Yeah. Uh, Ken Popple. He was uh, the, the drummer in Biff Bang Power. He used to play guitar for us. Paul Woods. Shuggy. Charlie on drums. What more do you need? <laughs> you know, we were legends in our own lunchtime. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed all that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You should be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know that uh, getting back to, you know, our, our talk about the yeah. Beatles, I know a lot yeah. of uh, current bands, whether they're from the UK or from the States or anywhere yeah. found influence in them. But like the ones that I listened to uh, growing up, because I was a, a kid that uh, saw my high school years end at the end of the eighties. Yeah. Um, thanks to my friend uh, in school, Dominic, he's wow. the one that introduced me to the Cure, uh, Morrissey, yeah. the Smiths. There you go. Um, and then from there, once I started listening to him, next thing you know, I'm listening to like Depeche Mode, Pet Shop Boys, and you know, all yeah, of these sure. groups that are coming out Fantastic, of there. Fantastic, man! Fantastic. And, you know, then you have in the, what was it, the 90s? Mm-hmm. We had Oasis come out, which was supposed to be like the second coming of the Beatles, and then they couldn't get their stuff together, those poor brothers. Do you know, it's so funny. I saw Oasis several times. My, my friend discovered them. Um, and, uh, well, a friend of a friend, a friend of Ken's. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's face it, they owe a lot to the Beatles. Um they were huge in the UK. Mm-hmm. I, saw, I, saw, I saw them in the States when they finally got the, everything together. And they, America loved them. They, I mean, yeah. they, I mean they, played, they played the hard rock in Orlando. They sold that out. Yeah, I mean, great. two solid you know? albums that I remember hitting the States where I was like, oh, oh this is really good. Yeah, I mean, when you hear the first bars of Rock and Roll Star, I've definitely maybe. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. You know, it's, they, they, they were kicking down doors. And it's important for young lads and girls to get into a band, start something, you know, be the future of rock and roll. Rock and roll, it needs rock and roll stars. The Beatles were. Yeah. 
And I, yeah. I don't know that we'll ever see anything like that ever again. I mean, we, we and once we hit the States and then eventually you get your new kids on the block, your NSYNC, yeah. your Backstreet Boys, they all started using a formulaic uh, idea to get them together. But these guys from, well, they were from Liverpool, were they not? Yes, they were. They were friends. They weren't like, hey, let's put together this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Let's make a band. No, these guys just hung out. They jammed. They did their thing. And realistically, when you do an effect like a garage band, it's a crapshoot. Maybe one one out of a hundred thousand will hit it big. But what if you were that one that was that one hundred thousand? Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating story. I highly recommend. I got to tell you, I'm not even going to rate it. Normally on on the podcast, we give a rating from 10. I'm not going to rate it because it's iconic. I think it would be doing a disservice to say, oh, it's a 10 because it's the Beatles. And it would be a disservice to go, oh, I downgrade it. I I think people should watch it. It's on Disney+. Plus. If you can binge it, great. Otherwise, it's like two and a half, 2.45 per episode. And there's three episodes. Yeah. But Peter Jackson, I was glad to see him unearth it. But when you said that there was like 60 hours worth of footage, I kept thinking, I don't know that I could sit through all 60 because of how painful some of those awkward moments get. Very. <laughs> Very. Um, I was, like I say, I agree with you about you, you, you. I wouldn't want to raise it. I think you don't have to be a Beatles fan to enjoy it. Agreed. But it helps mm-hmm. for the actual backstory of what they were, what they became, and now it just kind of really. When I mean, you think that they've done a rooftop was their last performance, yeah. not 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 a paid concert, nope, a rooftop to do several songs, and that was it. Done. You know it, what? What a way to go out! Has been the biggest band in the world. And a handful of lucky people that were within earshot to be able to hear it, you know, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, they, they're such a big part of the UK, the UK history. Um, not only for the music, you see, for the fashion, these get beautiful wigs, the mm-hmm. Nero college jackets, you know, the, the, the hair was, you know, the, the mop tops, that's what they call a mop top haircut. Mm-hmm. Which Boris Johnson models fantastically, by the way. <laughs> Except uh, his is never combed. Bless him. All that money, you can't get a decent bar on it. Um, it's just, you know, it, but they just, it's as though they just fizzled out, even though they didn't fizzle out. Mm-hmm. But they all went their separate ways. They were sick of each other. This was the last hurrah, like it or lump it, on top of a roof. You couldn't see them. You could hear them. Done. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You watch it, but when you're watching it for the new listener uh, or the listener who hasn't seen it yet, just know that you're watching the de-evolution of the Beatles, um, but culminating in one of the most iconic moments ever. And um, yeah, I'm grateful I got to see the footage of that. Oh, so I'm like, but you've got to think as well, at this time now, the Summer of Love was ending. Mm-hmm. You had Manson. 
you had Altamont. All that love was was gone around the world. And the beat was split. And it's like, you know, it was a different era then. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this, this huge band which affected people's lives had suddenly disappeared. And George did his stuff. John obviously did his stuff. Paul, Paul came out with Wings, you know, and had great success eventually. And Ringo did a, a few singles, a few albums and what have you. Um, but they all did their own thing. They came, did they ever come close to getting back together? John and Paul apparently on Saturday Night Live once were going to perform. Yeah. But they, that would have been amazing. And then flash forward 11 years and John gets shot. Yeah, we lost a huge icon at that time. And I mean, like I saw recently some video of, you know, Paul Paul McCartney still looks good for his age. And I hope he'll be around. No, no, but. It's awful, mate. It's shocking. But but he he still looks great, though. And I think that once uh, the time comes that time (sighs) takes him too, then that will also be kind of a sad uh, reflective you know, moment, but at least he's oh. gone this far. Um, so last question for you before we wrap things up. Did you watch the movie yesterday? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. You know about it, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great concept for those not familiar with it. Yesterday basically follows a uh, person who is a fan of the Beatles catalog. He yeah. is trying to make it into music but is failing miserably. And then some freak thing happens where he is suddenly in like some kind of parallel universe where the Beatles don't exist. And he has full knowledge of the Beatles catalog and he decides to make music. It's a great film. What's what's crazy about it is the person who plays John Lennon, who's alive because John would have never been shot. There wouldn't have been fans. He was an artist in this film. I'm All like, right. wow, this, it, and I think the person who played it, if I'm wrong, uh, forgive me, listener. I want to say before I even go to hit IMDb, I think it was played by his son, Julian. I Julian. think Julian played John okay. Lennon and it, he's only in the film for a few minutes. And now I, I feel like I'm doing it a disservice if I don't look it up. Um, I want to be Sean. Uh, let's Sean's see. a younger one. Maybe. Maybe. And yeah. again, I really don't want to mess that up. Who played IMDb? Here we go. I apologize for the delay on that one. Yeah, for some reason. Oh, yeah, because Julian would be much older by now. Yeah, and they they had a fractured relationship, didn't they? they Yeah, he released, what, a a few albums, didn't he? Oh, Julian? Yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. He had a a, a hit in the the 80s. Oh, God, what was it called? I can't think of his name now. The name escapes me. But, you know, he's he's been a musician all his life. Yeah. a hell of a role model um and as um sean as well he he played music yoko did her thing whatever she did um <laughs> you know she, you know she, she, she's an artist 
Why is IMDb not showing me who it was? That's so Stay weird. Right Tonight I've got to oh, watch this. Oh, no, I found it. Robert Carlyle. I was not even close. Robert Carlyle played Robert it. Carlyle. He was actually uncredited in it, but he played John Lennon in the film, according to IMDb. Robert and it's Carlyle. it's on the it's on the internet, so it's got to be real. <laughs> oh, it's got to be true, then. It's got to be true, <laughs> yeah. mate. Um, yeah, Robert. But Carlyle. yeah, Ed Sheeran is in the film too, as well. I've seen that. I've seen a clip of Ed in it. Bless him. <laughs> and I just have to say this when when the main character is recording Hey Jude for the first time and right. Sheeran goes, hey, let's change the lyric to Hey Dude. I think it sounds better. <laughs> I've got to watch this. Tonight. You do realize now I've got to watch this, don't you? It's, it's a good film. It's a good film. You'll have to, you'll have to hit me up with a message and let me know what you think. Oh, I will uh, do, definitely. Uh, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap this up? Quick story about the Beatles. Okay. Um, in my, in my hometown here in Boston, we had a, a dance hall, as they were called in the late 50s, 60s. And it was called the Starlight Rooms. And they changed the name to the Glider Drone. And it was now, bear in mind, Boston's middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a small town. It got a reputation for all the bands to play there. Everybody played there Hendrix, Otis Redding, The Who. Pink Floyd, Dusty Springfield, you name it. If you were anybody, Elton mm-hmm. John a few times, you played the Starlight Rooms or Glider Drone. Okay. The Beatles were booked to play three days before the release of their first single, which went straight to number one. Mm-hmm. The Beatles' manager called, <sighs> called the owners of the Glider Drone, they were called the Malkinsons, and demanded... 30 more pound for the band to play. The, Mal- the Malkinson refused to pay the extra and they never <laughs> paid it. <yet. laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody. Wow. Yeah. True story. That's insane. Yeah. My <laughs> mum, my mum, she um, used to go every Saturday night to the local. She's, she's in them all. Everybody. Okay. Um, apart from the Beatles. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, though. So, well, Carl, thank you for joining me on uh, this episode. Um, yeah, you've been <laughs> you've been listening to the Red Carpet Cafe. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Eric Root, along with my special guest host, Carl Hayway. And uh, just remember that we are a member of the Be Kind Rewind podcast network. You can find us on the web at bkrpn.com. And just remember, everybody. Get back to where you once belonged.
Thanks, Mo. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. <laughs>